Welcome back to Historical Context. Today we continue our colonization of the Middle Colonies Unit. Today's discussion centers around how an innocuous visitor to Virginia leads to a new competing colony for Jamestown. We last left off in September 1629 when George Calvert, the first Baron Baltimore, arrived in Virginia. Calvert had a complicated past. He was nearly 50 years old when he came to Jamestown. He was educated at Oxford, and he followed a man by the name of Sir Robert Cecil through the ranks of English government during the reign of King James I. By the year 1610, Calvert was an advisor of King James. He made several trips to several countries in Europe on behalf of the King and of England. In 1619, he was named one of the principal secretaries of state. In 1623, he was granted a 2,300-acre estate in Ireland that he named the Manor of Baltimore. Calvert became increasingly unpopular and isolated because other nobility saw King James aging and looked to gain some control through his decline. In 1625, Calvert resigned and King James named him the first Lord Baltimore in recognition for his years of loyalty to the crown. Almost immediately after his resignation, Calvert converted to Roman Catholicism. Calvert was also a land proprietor in the New World. He owned land in what we know today as New Finland. After James I died, King Charles I, his son and successor, briefly sought Calvert's counsel, but nothing came of it and Calvert was given leave to pursue his interest in Newfoundland. Now, Calvert had already authorized the construction of a colony, which started back in 1621. He even em employed a pirate to assist against other meddling European countries. And if you'll recall, the French were a major problem in the region at that time. Calvert personally went to Newfoundland in the summer of 1627, but only stayed a couple of months. He would return in 1628 with his second wife and many of his children. Unfortunately, war with France had found its way to the New World where Calvert was constantly having to defend his fishing ships against French attack. Calvert did have success capturing French warships and returning them to England, so I'm sure that helped the colony. Calvert had religious services in his home because it was the only structure large enough in the colony to hold that many people. And in an interesting show of free worship, there was a space in the home for the Anglicans to have their services, and the Catholics to have their services. 
Now, we know from history that it's only a matter of time before things boil over, and according to Calvert, it was the Anglican minister who first had a problem with this setup. After fighting with Lord Baltimore, he was sent back to England where he reported the incidents to the Privy Council. And remember, England is of a different religion at the time than Calvert was. Formal charges were never filed, and this was likely due to Calvert's standing in English society. While one would think that religious strife would be Calvert's undoing in Newfoundland, it was actually the winter of 1628-29. The cold was awful, not clearing out until May, and half the colony was sick, making Calvert's home a hospital. He petitioned King Charles I for a new colony. Let's have a look at the writing. Quote, I met with greater difficulties and encumbrances here, which in this place are no longer to be resisted, but enforce me presently to quit my residence and to shift to some other warmer climate of this new world, where the winters be shorter and less rigorous. Calvert, as I said earlier, was about 50 years old, which is considered much older compared to today's standards. So the biting cold of that winter really likely had horrible health effects on him as well. Calvert did mention that he wanted to leave the colony of Newfoundland to the fishermen as they were best suited to handle the weather. So Calvert isn't talking about dissolving Newfoundland. He's talking about personally leaving and going elsewhere. The king replied that he suggested Calvert come home to England as his health and age really left him unfit to start new plantations. Before the king's letter could get to Newfoundland, Calvert sent his children back to England and left with his wife and servants for Virginia. I bet that made King Charles real happy. The Jamestown colonists did not provide the warmest of welcomes. They asked him to take the oaths of supremacy and allegiance, which he refused, and therefore he was ejected from the colony. So Calvert almost immediately rubbed people the wrong way, and if you think about the history here, Calvert was probably the one of the, if not the highest-ranking Englishman to set foot in Jamestown. So he wasn't just some uh, peasant or merchant. He actually had title in English society, and he ended up rubbing people the wrong way immediately and got kicked out. He left for England, and in 1630, he sent a ship back to Virginia for his wife. So he wasn't even able to bring everybody back all in one trip. The ship sank and his wife drowned. I think it would have helped, uh, clearly, Calvert to have gotten some type of formal patent from King Charles. Remember, he showed up to Virginia with nothing, and therefore, he had no authority. Back in England, Calvert would continue his request for a charter from King Charles I. The Virginians were aware of Calvert's intent to settle north of them, 
and they actually sent someone back to England to prevent the charter from happening and to plead for Virginia's cause. One of the men that they sent back was William Claiborne, and Claiborne had a lot to lose considering he had a trade post set up north of the colony on Kent Island. In 1632, so it's been two years now, the king finally gave in and offered Calvert land to the south of Jamestown. So that would be modern-day North Carolina. But this angered investors who were eyeing the area to start sugar plantations there. So the king revised the patent to the north. He included both sides of Chesapeake Bay north of the Potomac River. This area includes present-day Delaware. The charter passed the seals on June 20th, 1632. There was only one problem. Calvert died on April 15th. So the charter was passed on to Calvert's eldest son, Cecil Calvert. And with his father's passing, Cecil became the second Baron Baltimore. So the title was hereditary. The colony was named Maryland. Interesting name. Many believe it was after Queen Mary. And in fact, I thought that when I was reading this. She was a Catholic queen and the Calverts were Catholic, so it would make sense. But, at least on its face, people were told that it was named after Charles I's wife, Henrietta Maria, who was also a Roman Catholic. And that marriage caused huge problems, was another big piece of the English Civil War. There was something different about this charter, though, from all others the Crown had passed. Let's take a look at the charter itself. And further, our pleasure is, and by these presents for us, our heirs and successors, we do covenant and grant to and with the said now Lord Baltimore, his heirs and assigns, that we, our heirs and successors, shall at no time hereafter set or make or cause to be set any imposition, custom, or other taxation, rate, or contribution whatsoever in or upon the dwellers and inhabitants of the foresaid providence. So the colony had way more independence than other colonies had to England. I mean, that is quite the... Uh, surrendering of power there from England. The colony was set up as a palatine, giving the family almost complete sovereignty over taxes, trade, and even the waging of war. The Calvert family would have to pay a fee of one-fifth of all gold and silver found and the delivery of two Native American arrows to the royal castle each Easter. Cecil Calvert began gathering the personnel necessary to send the first colonists over. But Virginia was not done fighting for land, as they thought it was theirs. We'll talk more about that next time on Historical Context. <laughs>